Welcome to the University of California San Francisco Sports Medicine Podcast featuring Dr. Nira Fundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne discussing hot topics in sports medicine and society. We hope you enjoy our podcast and look forward to hearing from you. Welcome everyone to our UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks with myself, Dr. Nira Fundia, and Dr. Brian Feely. Today we have the honor of Dr. Niru Jayanti, who is um, down in the South, originally from Chicago, where I was as well too, uh, for a period of time. And whenever you think of youth sports, um, his name is always at the top of the list. And I like to say the most quoted thing that I tell my patients is how many hours per week of sport they can be playing. I know you've done tons of more impressive research, but that is something that I, I will on a daily basis tell my youth athletes. So. Thank you again for joining us. And maybe you can just give our audience a little background about who you are and, and how you decided to, to choose this path about, um, you know, treating young athletes. Yeah, no, thanks so much. And it's great to have uh, both you, Nira and Brian, and uh, uh, you guys have done amazing work, not only in, in the operating room, outside the operating room, but impacting our field and, and rooting on those Golden State Warriors, <laughs> which I know you passionately do. Um, hard not to like them. I have to, as a Bulls fan growing up, uh, it's hard not to like them. But, you know, uh, first, First of all, I'm a dad of two boys, seven and nine and a half, and, and uh, I'm living everything we're going to talk about. Um, I actually taught tennis for many years, and, and we have a tennis medicine uh, program here. I take care of a lot of tennis players, and my whole path really kind of started um, you know, about 15 to 20 years ago when I started researching youth tennis players, and we researched a lot of the um, high-level tennis players and found that... Uh, you know, some associations and some of them were pretty obvious and simple. We had about 500 um, youth tennis players and, and found that a couple of things. If they got injured previously, they're more likely to get injured. We all know that that's pretty common data. But then also if we got, um, uh, uh, if they had chosen a single sport, they're more likely to report injury and maybe even pull out of a tournament. And at that time, it was somewhat novel to report that type of finding. It just so happened we, we presented and published at the same time a book called The Open came out, which is the book about Andre Agassi, and that had gotten a lot of publicity. So we got some unintended publicity, and I had some media requests about the concept, and I said, well, look, we don't only have data and tennis players, and, but they were already extrapolating to other sports. So we decided to move forward with a, with a, a much larger um, study, about 1,200 athletes, and, and we can certainly talk about some of the findings, but, and then, and, and I realized, oh my gosh, really great people like yourself and athletic trainers and other people were actually reading these papers and listening to it. So I said, how do I stop? I have to kind of make this seem to turn out to be kind of my lifelong passion now. There's actually a few people reading this stuff <laughs> and it's very translatable. It's, I'm not smart enough to do really, you know, uh, Brian does amazing cellular research. And I mean, I can't even, probably couldn't even spell half the words that he puts in a proposal. But, but my research is very basic, like how many hours should you play, how many sports, and I think it's very translatable for the average coach, parent, family, and um, me, even my own kids. So I, you know, it's interesting because I came to this topic in early sports because my oldest one was playing softball, and we were at a tournament, and she was the pitcher, and softball is kind of one of those classic sports where kids play a lot, they play year-round, and if you're a pitcher, there's no backups on the team. So they had one backup, and one of the coaches on another team, for one, tried to mess with her delivery, which I thought was rude, um, but two, then said, you know, you guys have to be playing all year-round, you know, you've got, you've got to really buy into it, and I went to an AOSSM meeting, we're sitting around the research committee, and I asked, like, 
what are you supposed to do? And the room was split. And really learned people, half of them were saying, yeah, you need to specialize early. You got to get those kids in. And the other half were like, that's the path to injury. And in the end, with COVID and everything else, my daughter decided, mm, I like science and I like going to school and softball is fun. So the decision was made for us. But the more I did the research and the more I looked into it, the more it seems like it really is dangerous to try to specialize early. But my question for you is, why do you think kids are so eager to specialize in sports early? Or is it the kids or is it the parents and the coaches? Yeah, great questions. And we all live it. We're parents as well, too. I know Nervous as well. You know, um, when we looked at it, I look at the old models from the UK. Uh, and there's a training of young athlete um, study about 20, 25 years ago, um, looking at elite level athletes. And one of the first things they did was they had this model that said most kids choose a sport because their parents introduce them to it. That's how they get introduced, right? The far majority of them. Most kids intensify intensify in a sport because that's what the coach asks them to do. So in our world, most parents trust that the coach will give them the, the, prop, the proper advice. And, it's, and I trust my coach. I think they're great. But I think um, coaches may have some unintended consequences if they are a tennis coach, softball coach. Of course, they want them to be with you and train with you all the time uh, with little data to support that. So I think the data was far beyond, you know, behind in, in terms of telling us whether this is a good idea or not. So um, I think it's great. And we have our own friends and neighbors and my own kids I coach and their friends. You get excited, your kid's good. If some coach tells you, I think you're great and you should join my team and be on a travel team. How do you not get excited and be proud? And, but then when you're seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old and you're being told to do that, um, you, don't, you don't see what we see, what you and I see and that's a you know a quick turnaround and and their change and and not only just injury but their approach to sport. So um, we shouldn't make this an anti-sport specialization mm -hmm. discussion. But I think it's generated by everyone else but the kid. The kid only has the enthusiasm, but you know that could be redirected in a lot of ways early on. Yeah. So unfortunately, Nerev is the coach of his kids' teams. I've graduated from that for now at least. Um, he unfortunately. Yeah drives all the kids to AAU basketball. And he's saying, you've got to be playing seven hours a day. So um, so we don't want to be entirely negative for against specializing early. What sports do you think there is a benefit in terms of, at least for performance, maybe not for injury, mm. but where it does benefit if you are a swimmer or you're an elite pole vaulter, yeah. could we be talking about this in a different manner? Right, exactly. So, you know, so we had a, a, a publication looking at sport type and sport specialization. And so if we look at it from performance, we feel those early entry sports, what you're saying, should be the ones where you want to have peak performance prior to adult maturity or skeletal maturity. And so those could include gymnastics and swimming, diving, and some could argue tennis and, and a technical sports, uh, dance and other things like that. Um, I try to stay non-judgmental with this uh, because every sport has its own path. I think when you look at sport specialization decisions and athlete development, it's very sport dependent and it's very <clears throat> goal dependent. But uh, there are some where, where you kind of need to do that if you're going to excel. And, you know, we looked at um, a study of the top 250 WTA women's professional tennis players as part of a larger study. Legally, I'm only allowed to discuss one portion of the findings, which is one slide. We asked the age that they 
played and trained in only one sport and the median age was around 10 and it did make a difference in your future WTA ranking, whether you did it before or after that, which means that it's not necessarily the worst pathway, but it's not the best. There's just no, no current advantage to it. But what's also interesting, age of 10 is the same exact age that we found with 500 plus junior players. So whatever it is, these sports are kind of gravitating towards some certain age. And I, and I think that's the culture of each sport. That's, that's how tennis works. And as you guys know, that's gymnastics and other sports. The culture and dance is to go heavy and hard early. And, um, and culture and football is, is generally later. So my concerns go when this all bleeds into to team sports that weren't really specialized before. And now they're, they're, they're kind of advertised as like, oh, early and often when we know that there's no benefit in that group. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that I feel like, as Brian was mentioning, kind of anti-sports specialization, it seems like we've swung where we're, everyone's so focused on playing multiple sports, but the conversation about volume has gotten lost, like how many hours you're doing it. So, you know, we have kids that are in, in the, my son plays soccer with who are, you know, oh yeah, they're doing multiple sports, but then they're doing something 25 hours of activities a week. Do you think that it's, it's more powerful from your research to limit volume um and not necessarily obviously you should concentrate and try to do multiple sports is the volume should be the bigger driver as opposed to doing one thing yeah you know it's, it's a great point and so we we did this publication called training an elite specialized youth athlete because th this is all going to happen we could do whatever you want but the kids and the coaches and travel preppers are going to happen so how do you guide them so it's stage of development and choice based on um, the athlete development model. So in your, uh, we have, as you already mentioned, we have this, you know, try and train less hours per week than your age model, which I think volume is definitely a clear uh, driver. Our work shows an independent risk despite volume as well. So they're both risk factors among other things. So I think you're right. I think it's not this black and white, like if you specialize, you're good. If you don't specialize, you know, um, I'm sorry, if you specialize, you know, you're going to get hurt and everything's bad. And if you don't specialize, everything's going to be fine. No, it's one of many athlete development factors in decision-making. So what you're describing is a multi-sport uh, specialized athlete. And I looked at it and I think I'm a, I'm a, I'm a decent, you know, I'm a, I, think I always say I'm a pretty good dad. I'm a decent coach and maybe I'm an okay doctor. And I looked at my own kids and I realized, gosh, both of them, I coached them both in everything. They were both playing baseball. And they were in, you know, between them three times a week and two times a week. They're both in tennis, <laughs> playing matches. And then we play for fun. And I was like, I, am I following all the rules that I publish? Like, I'm not even sure. <laughs> so I know how hard it is to do for anyone else. And, I, you know, so, you know, it's, uh, it's a challenge and they're still young. Are there certain sports where you feel there is no correlation with specialization and future performance? I mean, I know... Brian and I have looked at like, you know, NBA and, and things like that. Are there certain things where you, you parents come in, you're like, look, playing AAU basketball at age eight is not going to make a difference. I mean, are there things where you're pretty clear on that with right. families come in? Well, I don't even think you need to do a study on a complete athlete development um, sports, athlete sports like football. Like we already know that it's a seasonal sport and there's really no advantage, right? And um, and probably, uh, you know, probably other things like wrestling, um, but and distance running and, and distance events. So those are actually late maturing sports. So even triathlons and running and all that stuff. Um, and so the bulk of them fall in under middle adolescence type. And as you know, team sports. 
you guys did a study. And I, and here's, I put your slides in. Brian sent me your slides a while ago. You did an NBA study about, you know, really the ones that are first round draft picks um, and where they fall as far as injury and how they do. And generally speaking, the specialized ones don't, don't do that well, right? Um, but also 85% of them were specialized. So they're still doing it. So some, yeah. they're still a driver. Like you might, you may, you can, so we don't have the performance data. See, they, they don't, they don't care as much about that injury. You know, you could say it all you want, but we don't have the performance data that you are going to be, because there's still, you know, uh, um, this, this thought that you need to so, but, but it is the volume, it's volume and, and the choosing the only, the sport, the volume is it's what's the biggest risk. And you guys know this, but uh, for those that don't research this, it's, it's competition volume is the number one risk, yeah. right? And so that part, and, and I was just on a, on a different um, um, panel with uh, NATA, and we talked about where I think the data is. I think we've advanced our injury type by about four years. So the things we see in 20-year-olds, we see in 16-year-olds, the things we see in 16-year-olds, we're seeing degenerative changes in tendons. I just did a you know, platelet injection in 15-year-old soccer girl and tendons that look like someone who'd already been through, you know, four years of college and two years of professional athletics. And um, it, was, it was hard for me to have to do that. But, but I think we've advanced things because of, of you know, all of it, the volume, the lack of rest periods and, and those types of things. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you look at the differences. I think part of the problem is that we do allow coaches a lot of control because we say, well, if you want to be on the, you know, Georgia United soccer team, no offense to if there is a Georgia United soccer team, <laughs> need to hit 90% of practices, 75% of games, and otherwise you won't play. And I, what I try to tell the kids in clinic is like, well, then maybe you need to find a different team with a more understanding coach because that's not realistic. Um, how do you, what do you think the primary driver is as kids hit that high school age? Do you think that's where it transitions more to kids driving the bus or the car or do you think it's still coaches showcases and that parent drive for I want to see my kid be scholarship x scholarship y well I mean you may have the same communities I mean a lot of our communities are we're in a pretty affluent community out here in in you know Johns Creek Georgia and a lot of the athletes are just trying to make their high school team I mean forget even college like what you have to do to make a high school team is it's not easy in this in these types of communities and I think that's completely admirable, even if it, if it is college. So the driver is, is the entire environment. And so if I had to be really honest, it's probably more driven by the exposure and travel and club teams than it is by scholastic sport. And so scholastic sport alone, which is your high schools or school-based sports, uh, aren't those are the ones that some of these kids are willing to give up. So it doesn't affect their travel. And, and that's where they, they seem to get the, the biggest exposure. My personal feeling, as much as you and Mira and me and a number of other people will try, we're not going to be able to change all of this big bus of, you know, travel sports, club sports, and the financial engine behind it as well, too. What we should work on is the alternatives. So when parents look at choices, they have better alternatives. And that is alternatives that don't stop at 12 year olds for recreational sports or intramural sports in high school or you know if I can make a plug my wife started a, an app that just came out pick up sports which is allowing neighborhood play and meetups where you just say create a pot and say we're going to play soccer on Sunday with these eight kids and these are the levels and meet up and, and do that and you know and reinstitute some of the things that probably uh, you guys did and I did when I was younger is and, and I'll add this is self-directed free play 
we think actually may be protective of injury. And, um, you know, we had a study looking at socioeconomic determinants and the kids who came from wealthier insurance and families had higher rates of serious overuse injury, but yet the kids who had lower rates of serious overuse injury had less money and played more. They had more physical activity hours. But when we looked at it, it was majority of that was directed by free play. So they were playing pickup basketball in the neighborhood. And then when they said, I feel tired or hurt, I would stop. And, and so it's really interesting to say that it's not just, it's how the volume is delivered, right? Not just the volume, but how it's delivered. And yeah, you know, I think one of the, oh, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. <clears throat> I, you know, I noticed that when I cover high school football, there's a bunch of boys hanging out in the corner. This is going to sound really bad, but they're basically off on the side field, <laughs> playing pickup basketball, goofing around. And you rarely, if ever, see girls doing that. And the what I see, because I've got my oldest three are daughters, but I see, especially around the oldest two, there's this pressure and intensity to be, I have to make club team X, I have to make varsity next year. Do you see a difference in terms of gender and in, in how that free play has developed? Wow, that's actually a really great point. And even when we talk about like the thing my wife is doing, pick up sports, we really want to make it uh, uh, gender neutral and, and just uh, get kids to play and target the girls because the drop off is with the girls between 11 and 13. I will tell you that we, when we look at our data and we have, we published just basically on the adolescent female athlete, the biggest driver for a lot of this stuff is actually the young female athlete. And so, yes, there are risks for the guys and all these kind of things, but the biggest driver continues to be, if we look at our data sets, uh, is the young female athlete. And you're exactly right. It's mostly in organized environments. And, and, and if I actually, and, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone, and I, I'm, we're working on it. I'm with my new um, discovery research student uh, at Emory. We're going to do more gender-specific studies, but this will really look at um, um, these type of findings in, in only the female athlete. But I bet you if we looked at free play um, hours and ratios that we do, we call it a sports training ratio. Um, I bet you it's a significant difference between boys and girls. And, and actually, we hadn't looked at this, so I'm going to actually make sure that's uh, something we'll look at in our next data set. But I bet you you're right on that. Um, another group that we don't talk about in the specialization kind of like, you know, era overuse is what happens to the other kids who don't have access and don't play. And one of the things I've seen in my clinic, it's kind of this dichotomy. You've got the super specialized third ACL terror when they're 14. And then you get the 12 year old who's got anterior knee pain, hip pain, because they, there's nowhere for them to play. Um, what, what, are, what kind of things do you think, you know, in general, we can do to kind of improve opportunities for those kids because they're getting left out. And I think we don't concentrate on that aspect of it as much. Well, you're exactly right. And, and let's take away my research bias of looking into the injury risk and you and you guys, and we, we, we look at that group because they're the people we see in clinic, right? And, and they're the overutilizers. In fact, that, that's the high risk group. We, we looked at longitudinally, our, we had 1200 athletes and we followed them. We actually noticed they're great for business. You get a high specialized year round athlete, they're going to be your best friend. They're going to be there again and again and again. But um, the kids you're talking about disengaged from sport, the attrition's high. And, and, uh, and I completely agree. So all our efforts really should be a little bit. What I talked about is, is focus on other opportunities that are, um, that don't stop at 12. So, you know, most rec leagues, like once you can't figure out, you can't make your club or travel team and you can't make it in high school, 
you're done. But we don't, but like in Atlanta, when you're an adult, um, we have these tennis leagues that are just amazing. We have 80,000 adult players and half of them, we've researched them to half them start picking up after 18 years old, but it's organized. It's in your, and you could be a C9, like the lowest level and still have a ton of fun. And so we're trying to replicate that with kids. We're trying to create a, a model that involves that is, is self-directed play. You just meet once a week. If you can't make it for one season or one weekend, no big deal. It's okay. And you jump in when you can, but then you're self-motivated. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of not so good athletes playing <laughs> these, but they're passionate about it and their social structure is built around it. So when you get a social structure built around it uh, and get opportunities. Now, I think school is a, is a great avenue. We pulled away from school environments and because you know, all this other stuff because you got to win and get the, get the best teams. But school is your first environment and it should start from elementary to, to middle school to high school to create intramural and recreational opportunities for, for every level. Yeah, I was surprised when our oldest one went off to UCLA, we had to explain what intramurals were because it's an unheard of thing to have free play and to play like pick up semi-organized sports now until college. Whereas in reality, I think I spent much of my time outside of actual sport time playing pickup basketball or playing pickup baseball poorly, but still having fun playing sports. Um, I really want to ask you what your rank is in Georgia, since I know you know it, but I'm going to conclude with a different question, just in case it, it isn't <laughs> in the top 10. Um, how do you see the future of youth sports going? Do you think it's going to switch away from this model or we're going to kind of have a reversal where we put more fun into the youth sports, especially in that 12 to 18 year range? Yeah. You know, um, and you, you know, we've all been on, um, national committees and advocacy uh, programs, Aspen Institute, and you name it, uh, been in the media a lot. And I think there's, there's little snippets of it with national governing bodies, but I actually believe it, it's, it's not realistic to think that this engine isn't gonna keep going the way it is. And you guys have been around this for a while and, and I, I don't know if you could say that it's reversed a lot. So I think the future of youth sport is, is what it is right now. And until we create other opportunities and you need more people focus on other opportunities and almost it's interesting my wife we she's done kind of the market research behind it the, when we need to do it is actually early right we need to do it and create that culture of free play and playing for fun all these things at six to ten and but they're not unhappy yet and so we we actually are trying to kind of sell this idea to families say what you know like they always say what should i sign up for i'm like you don't need to sign up for something why don't you just play for fun and and then, and then, you know, she's done a little bit of market research and found that they're, they're, they're not happy at that point yet because they're still excited and passionate. But uh, I think we have to um, help you guys have already lived it. And Brian, you've, you know, um, you're ready for grandchildren almost. And, you know, you're, <laughs> you've seen, <laughs> you've already kind of gone through, yeah, with, the, with your, your kids, you've already lived it with your kids, you've gone through. Um, but uh, uh, to explain to new parents of kids entering the sport world that, um, that get the better alternatives early, take your foot off the pedal and try uh, a culture of playing for fun, meeting up in neighborhood play and doing those things so that it doesn't feel like this pressure cooker of sign up for the next thing, sign up for the next thing and sign up for the next thing. Um, but there's a lot of work to be done and we're a small part of it. Like we're in the medical side. I think we're a tiny part of it. It's the coaches. And then the business behind it, if there's a business model that'll get coaches excited about getting more kids to play, then I think 
we have a shot. Yeah, totally agree. I think, yeah, as, as, as we feel this burden to change the system where we really need to be incorporating in the folks on the business side, the coaches, not even the parents, they're still the people who are providing the opportunities, which I think gets lost a lot. So, um, and then the social part as well, too. I think for a lot of these families, like travel sports, those parents are what you're doing every weekend. And then suddenly to withdraw yourself from that, it's tough for the kids. And then the parents are like, well, what are we going to do all weekend? We These are the 13 parents we've been hanging out with, you know? So there's this, this pressure as well, too. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. I mean, I think it's great. Like we're playing, I mean, I, I coach my sons is playing for the championship game tonight. Yes. He's seven. And, <laughs> you know, and this is his seventh season in baseball and I'm, but I'm the coach for all of them. So we control the environment and I will add, just, let me just tell you that the other coach is great. He played, he's from California. He played a, uh, you know, a little bit of professional football. Neither of us, the entire season ever said the score nor ever told them that they needed to do anything, get a hit, we never made outcome dependent and we were the number one team in the league and and we're about to play for a championship and all we did was ask for energy and fun and we're very proud of the coaching style and it can be really positive and we've shown before that you can have really positive environments and then we'll ask at the year and party i always bring a bunch of tennis rackets and then i try to convert them all to tennis players and i say play a different sport that was great we had fun but now play a different sport you know and so um so it, it can be done and we just need more people and more coaches and, and you know, communities uh, doing that. Absolutely. Well, we could go on for hours about this because yes. obviously we're all passionate about it. But um, yes. just wanted to thank, thank you again for, for coming on our podcast and uh, working, working with you in the future. This will be great. That's awesome. Thanks uh, so much, guys. And, uh, you know, I, I want to cheer for the, the Golden State, and, and, but I don't want them to get their sixth championship and ever be compared to Michael Jordan, the Bulls. Uh, so please just don't get your sixth. Keep it at, you know, keep it just, just at five. That's it. That's all I ask. Okay. (laughs) Keep up the great work guys. Thanks for having me on. Okay. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.